Hi, I'm Emma. And I am Jenny. And this is Have You Heard Of? It's the podcast where two best friends finally hold each other accountable for all of those pop culture recommendations we keep getting each other. This week it is my pick and I am finally getting Jenny to watch something I've been recommending, I think, since I've known her. It is my favorite movie. Yes, my one favorite movie, Witness, <laughs> directed by Peter Weir. Yes. I don't know why I specified that part. <laughs> I don't know either, but that's okay. Um, but before we get into this, um, I am going to do a spotlight swap real quick. And I am going to say one thing this week. I usually bring like multiple things, but I was like, what should I do? That is like, because this episode is going to come in in January, so it can't be really anything Christmassy. So I was like, what am I going to talk about? Um, so mine spotlight for this week is... Baking cookies! Yay! Yay! So long story is I have such a love-hate relationship with baking. I find it very stressful and I have a lot of anxiety over it because it's a science. You need to make sure you have the right measurements and have to put this into this and cook it. And there's so many different types of, like, to make stuff really good, you need, like, a really nice mixer. You need all these things. And I was just overwhelmed. And I know a lot of people who are great with baking, including Miss Emma. Is amazing. I have a baking, baking story for you at the end of this to make you feel some solidarity over baking fears. But I'll Thank let you, you finish your story first. <laughs> um, so at my work, um, there was an event where someone was making cookies and I was helping with that event. And when I got home, I was like, that was actually like pretty simple and looked fun. So maybe I will do it. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't have any of the supplies, but I like went to Bulk Barn, just got like exactly what I needed, went home and I made these shortbread cookies and shortbread is just so easy to make. It's like the quickest thing ever. All I did was like, all I needed was two cups of flour, a half a cup of sugar and a cup of butter. And that was it. And I just had to mix it with by hand and it was fine. And then put it in the oven at like 350 for 20 minutes. And then it was done. And I was so proud of myself that I made a thing. I hardly ever make things. And I've made it twice so far since then, which is surprising. And it's always like at the middle of the night when I'm like, I'm just going to make some cookies and I just do it. And I'm like, I'm, it's kind of fun, which is bizarre to me. And I forgot the joy that baking can bring when you like, you've made a thing with all these like raw ingredients. It's different from cooking when it's like, you kind of have some freedom with, I'm going to add this. Cooking, you're just like, I'm just going to throw this in for some crunch. <laughs> good, usually. <laughs> Except for that one time I added granola, and you're like, what is this? You're like, that's what I was citing specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and I was um, like, on your stir fry? And you're like, yes. It's like, okay. And it wasn't But that's good. the thing about cooking, is you can just be like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so baking, like, if you have anxiety with cooking and you don't think you can do it, trust me, I've been there and I totally get it. But something super simple like shortbread is super quick, super easy to do. Emma, what is your face doing right now? Do you have something to say? So I love making shortbread. It is currently still December and shortbread is one of my favorite cookies. And so my mom sent me her shortbread recipe. I have made this recipe so many times before and I made it. And the dough was, like, so tasty, and I put, like, some orange zest in there, and I was like, these are going to be so good, and I, like, did little, like, holly berry sprinkles on them, and I put them in the oven, and I've never had a recipe flop so hard. I don't know what happened, but they, like, completely melted into just, like, one congealed, like, burnt, horrible thing, and I was like, okay, 
I've already made another batch of cookies today, so we're calling it a win no matter what. I'm going to yeah. just throw all this out, and I'll try again next week. Maybe my butter was too soft. I'll make sure I chilled the dough beforehand. I made it exactly the same next week, let it chill, called my mom for advice, and they flopped again. So you're like, shortbread is the easiest thing. And I'm like, I'm coming hot off of two huge shortbread flops. And I was like, I will tell Jenny this fun story as a mark of solidarity of like, it happens. Everybody fails. And you were like, yeah, shortbread. And I'm like, you, oh, you got the shortbread mojo. I've been having, I know. And I just called my mom and I was like, mom, you said you were going to mail me, you would mail me one kind of Christmas cookie. It's like a little treat. Can it please be shortbread? Because I cannot make them. And oh, then no. I was, I, but it's like, I, 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 we're calling it a moment of personal growth. And then I was like, I'm not going to be mad. I made mm. other cookies. It's fine. Like, sometimes just the act of baking is enough. You already have a lot of cookies. It's fine. So yeah. I'm happy that you had shortbread success because shortbread, I'm realizing, is way trickier than I originally thought it was. So I'm so pleased how, that you were how, having shortbread I, success. How did you mess it up? I don't know. Twice. Was it the zest? Was it too zesty? And it was like, no. <laughs> teaspoon of zest it was minimal zest <laughs> i don't know well no so i'm so pleased for your shortbread successes you. i'm very very pleased because you deserve the win <laughs> i yes i agree and it's very exciting and people are enjoying i like dip like half of them in like chocolate and then you can put like m&ms on it and it's like you get that crunch of the, the m&ms crunch, crunch. <laughs> you need the texture yeah I'm so pleased for you. Thank you. That sounds that, delicious. And yeah. I, I am on holidays now, so I might take a third crack at it. But like, I honestly don't know if I can face the shame from my roommate. Because both times she's been like, what are you making? It smells really good. And I'm like, oh, cookies. They'll be done in 10 minutes. And then both times she's been like, are there cookies? And I'm like, no. No, there isn't. <laughs> so I don't know if I can face that shame. At the I'm actually time. Like, really proud of you because I have seen when cooking things for you have failed in the past. And it's not I pretty know. good. So you I'm really grow? proud of me too. I have really grown where I was just like, we're just throwing it out. We're not looking at it. We're just binning it. It's done. I'm so proud. Thank you. I'm trying so hard all <laughs> of the time <laughs> to not be overwhelmed with incandescent rage. Um, mm. But baking, when it goes well, or sometimes just the act of baking, I like giving things a good stir. I also like, I don't know, does your shortbread have any eggs in it? No, it was just the three ingredients. Yeah, I don't think shortbread has eggs in it. My shortbread also doesn't have eggs in it, which also made me very happy, because even though the cookies flopped, I will say that I still ate a lot of the cookie dough. Nice. I, I never getting salmonella. I, I, I never even ate the cookie dough. I was just so ex- nervous to, like, cook it. I was like, I gotta use all the pieces of the dough. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, so that's my spotlight. Shall we talk about Witness? Yes, we should talk about Witness. All right. So, Witness, 1985, directed by Peter Weir, starring Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. This is yes. my favorite movie of all time. It is. It is my number. Like, I feel like whenever you ask anyone their favorite anything, I am also usually like this. Of like, like, well, can I give you a top five? And then <laughs> here's my top five, but here's the runner-up, which would, would be sixth place. Like, I am so notorious for my t- top ten list being not that. Um... <laughs> And then with Witness, I think it is just my favorite movie of my life because it is Mm. the first movie I talk so often about movies being tied to, like, specific memories with my family or with friends. And this is a movie I straight up just found and discovered by myself. It was on TV Which is rare. Yeah, it was on TV one day and it was Harrison Ford, so I watched part of it and this was, like, starting halfway through and I was like, this movie is really good, but had no context for the beginning. 
And mm. then uh, summer after grade nine, it was in an HMV. Remember those? Oh, yeah. And it was in the $5 bin. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy Witness. And then <laughs> <laughs> I bought Witness. Wasn't this a great story? This is so riveting. I saw Witness in a DVD store and I bought it. And then I, this is, you can just like, I'm such a, I would consider myself a cinephile, even though it sounds incredibly pretentious. But, like, this movie marks a lot of firsts for me, and then it was the first time I found a movie, and then this was also, like, the first time I went out and just bought a movie because I wanted mm. to see it. Like, yeah. this is not a time when I owned a lot of movies. This really kickstarted something in me. And I feel like people don't really even own movies anymore because everything's digital or streaming. Except for um, me. Respect. Thank you for keeping the legacy alive. Thank you. Um, it's very important to have physical copies of things. It is. Um, Special features. I know, because I was, I don't have a DVD player now, and I was watching Witness on Prime, and Witness is not going to be on Prime after December 30th. What? What am I going to do without my access to Witness? Um, anyways, and then, like, a week later, back in my hometown, away from the HMV, um, and it was, like, the second day of school, so I had no homework, and I was just home, and my... It was just me and my mom who were in town at the time, and she was making dinner and was like, oh, what are you going to do? And I was like, am I allowed to just put on a movie? I don't know why I asked, but I remember being like, am I allowed to just put a movie on? Because my head <laughs> movies were very, like, a weekend thing, and I was like, yeah. this is a Tuesday night. Can I put this movie on? And she was like, "It's allowed? Yes. <laughs> and then I just sat there and watched Witness, and I remember the next day, because it was, again, like, the third day of school or whatever, and so I was in my English class, and our English teacher was like icebreaker activity just talk to people about what they did last night and i was like okay so guys i watched witness in full for the first time and then just recounted the plot of witness to my partner <laughs> and my friend turned around and she's like i was talking about homework and i turned around and i just hear amish and murder what did you do last night and i was like i watched a movie anyway like this movie is just i i watched this movie and i was like this movie made me feel smart because I understood what was happening, but I knew I wasn't getting it. Mm. And, like, every time I watch this movie, I notice different lighting motifs, and I love the score and the direction, yeah. and the performances are so nuanced, and the script is just so tight. It was it was nominated for several Oscars. The only one it won was Best Original Screenplay, and I'm so pleased it did because every time I watch it, it is just a perfectly constructed screenplay. Mm, of how it flows together it flows together like just the, the way that our two main characters john and rachel mirror each other they're on the same arc in a completely different way mm. is so good and like it, it does so many parallel scenes and it's just such a clever movie and again such an like earnestly emotional movie and originally it was i think originally structured to be around more from just rachel's point of view Oh, and then ultimately, I like that they do both of their point of views, but it's not really a story about either of them. It's a story about how we look at justice and how mm. we look at what what do you have the right to judge people for? What is the appropriate punishment? Who are you to be allowed to punish people for what you think is the wrong decision? Yeah, because um, a lot of times I I prefer movies that are like more character focused, but I found that like this movie was like what you're saying like it's not necessarily about their specific journeys it's about what journey they're going through yes. and like but i enjoyed that aspect of it it wasn't so much of like this person this person these people could have been completely other people but you're still going through this story and seeing this subject 
play it's out. It's not about the characters. It's about how the characters react to the circumstances they're in, which I guess yeah. is also then about the characters. Anyway, but it's just, it is yeah. so great to me. And I think it's kind of an outlier also in that I'm like, I usually do go for campier films or stranger films. And this movie is just a straight up, like, I, I feel bad saying typical because I feel like that undermines it. But it's just like a typical drama. That It's a very mm. 1985 filmmaking sensibilities. Um, I was looking up the production process to see if there was like some kind of journey it went on. And even its development process was very normal all things considered like the producer had a development deal with fox um he liked the script he gave the writers some notes they rewrote it um they asked a couple actors if they were interested harrison ford committed like it's there's no what might have been with this movie it's Mm. just like everyone i think everything all the pieces just came together for it really nicely there was a producer who liked the script they got the studio attached after harrison ford was interested they did a casting call they found kelly mcgillis who I feel like this is one of her kind of first bigger roles. I miss her. Um, I think she's so good in this. And so it's just one of those movies. I think like the one funny thing is that originally Fox did reject it because Fox said, we don't make rural movies. What? <laughs> I'm like, because they're on a farm? That's what that... you didn't like about it? What? Um, yeah, and it's just like, it, things just worked out really well. The writers really wanted Peter Weir to direct. I really like Peter Weir. Um, and he was committed to the Mosquito Coast, and then that production ended up getting delayed, and he was like, yeah, sure, why not? So I think, like, this one, there is no what might have been with this movie Mm. who almost starred. It's just this movie just went through a fairly typical process, a fairly typical Oscar campaign. It got nominated for Best Picture. It got nominated for Best Actor. It is, to date, Harrison Ford's only Oscar nomination. Um, If I were to give him one other nomination, I would give him the win for this, first of all. And if I were to give him one other nomination, it would be in 2015, Best Supporting for Age of Adeline. What did, Um, who ended up winning Best Actor when he was nominated? I have looked this up so many times, including earlier today. And now I can't remember because for some reason my brain always wants to say that it was Richard Dreyfuss in Mr. Holland's Opus. But that's not true because Mr. Holland's Opus didn't come out for years. (laughs) Oh, um... Mr. Holland's this, Opus, I think, came out in 95. Hold on. So Oscar. Yeah, because this came win. out in 1985. Yeah, best actor. Which, like, yeah. I, like, could kept not figuring out. Like, I kept being like, is this, like, late 70s? No. And I kept trying to, like, think in my mind. I was like, when did Star Wars come out? Is this, like, for some reason I had in my mind that this was Harrison Ford's first movie. I don't know why I said thought that. And it's not. It's because it's very different than his other roles. Like, it's, yeah. his first movie was American Graffiti, but then he did Star Wars and Indiana Jones and things like Blade Runner and became more of, and, like, The Fugitive. I mean, The Fugitive was after this, but, like, I feel like this is a very mm. exceptional performance from Harrison Ford when he still felt obligated to try in acting. William Hurt won Best Actor this year for Kiss of the Spider-Woman, which is great. I actually, that is also a great performance, I guess. Fine. William Hurt. I'm happy you have that Oscar. <laughs> but Harrison Ford should. Because I love this movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, like this movie is just... There is something in the way we need to look at movies from the past. Like there's this... You can recreate period pieces and it's not... But it's not just in the costuming or how the movie looks or sounds it is just something about the like we do tell certain kinds of stories in certain decades like I feel like there were a lot of cop movies in the 80s and I feel like I feel like you don't get this kind of 
drama or love story really made in 2020. Like, I can't Mm. think of a similar film that's been made in the past 10 years. Like, it's just, it's a very 80s movie, but not in, like, everyone's listening to Madonna and wearing crop tops Ah. or what have you. It's it's just a very 80s movie. Yeah, I've, I've never, like, heard really about this movie before I met you. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking that, like, every time you talked to me about it, I was like, I feel like I've seen this movie. But I haven't. It was just you always talked about it. I felt like I've seen the movie. And <laughs> I am here to keep the witness home fires burning. Yes. Yeah, so while I was watching this movie, like, I had no idea what was going to happen. I do think I have seen, like, the barn building scene happen, like, on TV, like, like scrolling through channels like that scene looked familiar to me but besides that everything they actually else... built a barn they built a barn yeah. in a day. they built that barn that's so cool there are it's funny to look at you know 20 30 years on the line what movies have stayed in the cultural consciousness and become hugely popular films that people look at as like big oscar moments or like really mm. good wins when so many times there are these great films that came out there are so many great films that come out each year and so few get nominated for oscars and then even fewer of those like people remember 10 years later like yeah there's so many great performances and i think there's you can do other ways to look at film history than just looking at Oscar nominees, but Oscar nominees is an easy way to do it, and you're still finding, like, these hidden gems. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, it's, you kind of were talking about, like, films similar to this. When you were saying that, I, I automatically thought, because a lot of this has to do with, like, people being exposed or going out of their element to, like, a completely... Mm-hmm even though you're still in the same country, like a completely different world to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's because they're filming this still in December. It reminds me and like a completely different way, but also kind of reminds me of like Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> when, like, <laughs> <laughs> you have, like the one person, like Susan big city goes over to the small town. They're like, what's happening? What's you mean Jimmy Christmas. And then they fall in love. <laughs> kind of reminds me like obviously not in the same like campy Christmassy way but like that premise of like a whole new world like what's going on it's like similar to that feeling but more realistic if that makes sense I know so like let's get into the plot a little bit of it all I am trying to be conscious I feel like we've done a lot of rambling longer episodes lately so I'm like we're gonna keep this tight Jenny very sweet was like we should keep it tighter but I know this movie's really important to you (laughs) so it's okay if you go long for this week but I was like I don't know how long we will go because watching this movie transforms me into a 60 year old man because I'm watching it and it was me sitting on my couch on Thursday I'd be like oh boy that's how you make a movie they don't make them like this anymore damn that's romantic and I'm like this is this me I mean it's gonna be an hour of me going oh boy I mean yeah you saw me talking about the Grinch when I just went I when I was editing it it's just me going like and this part classic it's not classic Jenny it's just classic because you watch it so much that you think this is classic that's how you make a film as far as I'm concerned this is the second movie ever made the first movie ever made is Yensel the second movie ever made is Witness the third movie ever made is Captain America 2 The Winter Soldier and those are the only films in existence every other film we've ever talked about on this podcast is purely speculative I've never seen another film because these are the only three that exist Witness was the second film ever made as far as I'm concerned as I was watching this movie I like 
because like again like i didn't really know what the plot was all i knew is that there was an amish boy who saw was a witness to a murder that's all i knew and so as i was watching this and as things developed i kept thinking ah emma (laughs) i know okay i had like a grip of fear when we were texting about watching this movie because for some i i always typically watch the movie like the night before we record so it's hot in my fresh little brain yeah yeah Um, and jenny very reasonably likes to watch things a few days in advance because she's like we have very different tastes so i need to sit with it for a couple days but then it just meant that i knew you had seen witness and i didn't know what your opinion on it was and i have been gripped with fear (laughs) so oh my god i just started launching into this i haven't even asked you our titular question had you hadn't heard okay had you heard of witness no what are your thoughts on it (laughs) (laughs) yes um so yeah my thoughts on it is this is very much an emma movie i i was also very concerned of if i would like it or not um because i know how important it is to you and this is like emma saying it is your favorite movie is like a big deal for the amount of movies that you'd consume. So it's a very important thing. <laughs> um, mm. So I think overall, I did really enjoy the film. I I was like, just the plot of what was happening, like I gasped. I was like, oh, oh no, oh God. And I was like, it's happening. And like, I got really invested in what was happening. Um, I thought that the romance. romance plot made sense. There are some scenes that don't make sense to my mind, but you know, we'll get into that. But... I also, but I also just like, I love seeing contrast in film and seeing like, for example, like the movie Pride of that contrast of like the small Welsh town. Amendment to my earlier statement, the fourth film ever made was Pride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Pride is a perfect movie. It is, right? But that feeling, that, that contrast between the two and that knowing, t- like, that development of trust and respect towards each other and um, that contrast and conflict of just being different is always fascinating to see on screen. Um, obviously, that can be, like, overplayed sometimes, but I think it worked really well in this film. And just, like, the cinematography I thought was really good of how this movie was filmed and the colors of it was really nice. Yeah, something that also makes a lot of sense. So when I was also 12, I got really into the Dutch painter Johan Vermeer. Um, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> there was a, ch- uh, a young adult, like, middle grade novel called Chasing Vermeer about children who have to find a missing Vermeer painting. And then as a result of that, I got really into Vermeer. And it's funny, like, I have all these art books from him that people gave to me when I was, you know, in grade six. And I wouldn't read. I don't actually know a lot about his life because I wouldn't read about him. I would just look at pictures and be like, mm. it's pretty. Um, really fancy picture books is life. what they are. Exactly. And <laughs> um, I was looking up this movie and one of the visual influences for it was the paintings of Johan Vermeer and other Dutch painters. And I was mm. like, ah, oh, it's all coming together. Ah. Um, yes. So the premise of the film, we'll, we'll walk you through the plot, is... There is a woman named Rachel Lapp who lives in an Amish community in Pennsylvania, and her husband has fairly recently died. I could not tell you when exactly, but enough that she has to go into the city to Baltimore and Maryland to visit her sister, and they have to do, I think they have to do things like get a death certificate and just do paperwork and all the things you cannot mm. do in an Amish community because they don't use electricity yes. or phones or anything. Um, and 
she brings her six-year-old son Samuel with her, played by Lucas House of the Pussy Posse, which haunts me. Oh, but God. I felt I had to mention it. I'm sorry, Jenny, <laughs> that I have to mention this every time any of the who else, who, is Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Spider-Man, whatever his name was. Yes. And, like, Lucas Haas. I think Kevin Corgan. Oh, God. Anyways. Ew. Um, anyways, but Lucas Haas, when he was still a six-year-old, that I didn't shudder at. <laughs> that seems so mean to say. Um, anyways, and the whole premise of this film is that they are at the train station waiting for their train. Samuel goes to the bathroom, and he sees a man get murdered. Okay. This murder scene? There's got to be a cleaner way to do this murder, guys. Like, they, like, they are so bad at murder. They're so, they're so bad. bad at checking the bathrooms. Like, they didn't check, but also just, like, slitting a guy's throat. There's blood going everywhere. I'm like, I'm as I'm writing down, I just go, oh, boy, there's got to be a cleaner way to do this. <laughs> like, I know. come on. Because I, like, I, I thought they had just, like, they just, like, stab him in the back or something. No, they slit his throat. And then one of the guys is like on the ground with the body and i'm like okay you're covered in blood now and then the other one's washing his hands reasonably and the first murderer criticizes him for this and i'm like obviously he's gonna wash his hands because that was messy as hell yeah um i know and they're so bad so they're like they check the bathroom stalls obviously not very well because this sweet six-year-old little amish boy is peeing yeah um and then they they hear a noise and start kicking the stall doors in and i'm like just look for feet you idiots and then by the time they do that he's at time to climb on top of a toilet but i'm it does not take it away from being a very very tense scene um but yes there has to be a better way there's got to be a better way and yes they get like so there's been a murder and it's been a murder of a policeman so of course it's more Intense for the police to find the person who killed a policeman. Yes. So then we introduce Harrison Ford as Detective John Book. My boy. Um, My boy. My man. My man. (laughs) Um, And just like a couple things that I really like about this movie that they start almost right off like with the scene. So you see or Samuel sees the man get murdered and then he almost gets caught and does it and then it just cuts to like an hour or whatever later of book talking to him and you never see this scene of like the body being discovered or him telling his mother and i like the way this movie exists in the pauses and what we so much of this movie is i mean if you're looking at it literally about him being a witness to this crime but it's about what we the audience get to see of these people's lives it's about being observed Mm. so like even when Rachel and Samuel first arrive at the train station. There are people being like, look at the little Amish boy and like trying to take their pictures. It's about like the way the outside world views this Amish community. It's about the way that this community sees the Eng- like what they call like the Englishman or the Yankees. Yeah. And it's also I guess just like, about mm-hmm. like kind of like when you mentioned that there's not a lot of scenes when there's someone by themselves. Yeah. It's like, always, always about how you are always, being observed. Yeah. There's always other people in the scene. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Um, but it's also how, what we, the audience get to see, because you don't get to see this scene of Samuel running out of the bathroom and having to try to explain what he has just witnessed. Like you just cut and your brain will Mm -hmm. fill in the rest. And it's a a lot of, a lot of what you get to see. And I think one thing I like about this in that they, this movie doesn't have a lot of exposition. It is a lot of being observed. Like they never even, the movie opens with the funeral of Rachel's husband, and, like, people telling stories about him. So, like, you don't know how he died, but you don't need to. You just need to no. know, like, this is what's happening. And then you introduce John 
and his partner, whose name I can never remember, I'm so, I even wrote it down, Schaefer. No, Schaefer. Carter. Carter. Carter, yes, yes, Carter. Carter. Schaefer is a different cop. There's a lot of cops in this movie. But his yes. partner, Carter, and they're interviewing Samuel, and I, I have such a soft spot. This is, like, so indicative of any male character I've ever liked in media ever and it's do they know how to talk to children or if they don't do they at least want to be good at it and can see how bad they are at it it's like i appreciate that he is like this six-year-old has just seen something truly awful and he is already so out of his element we need to be nice to him Mm. and i really like this the moment of when they're trying to be like samuel's like there were two men i only saw one they're trying to get him to describe him and carter harrison schwartz partner um, is black, and so the kid's like, oh, he had black skin, but he wasn't a stumpig like you, and they realize stumpig means rent, and I just love it, because it means Harrison Ford just stands up to his full, like, six feet or whatever, and it's like, yeah. oh, so he's not a big man like me, and I like it because he is, again, like, trying to be friendly to this kid, but he's also just, like, making fun of his friend a little bit, and it just gives me mm. a sense of, oh, that's their relationship, that's their friendship of, uh, yes. they're doing this, th- like, it sounds so horrible, but, like, homicide is part of their routine, so they can just uh. still have time to be friends. I do like the partnership between the two, uh, between like Carter and Brooke or book book. Um, it's like, it, we will get into it later that like intense shit is happening and like, they're still like there for each other. And you can tell that they there's a lot of history. And like what you're saying, like how this movie doesn't need to show every little thing of like them getting places. Cause our brain will fill it in. And it's kind of like, textbook of how you should tell a story you don't need to have mm-hmm. so much description and so much like this is what's going to happen and this is why this happened because we you don't need that for what the type of story you're trying to tell and also when exactly. you leave things with mystery then people can make fanfic <laughs> exactly oh my god is there oh i need to go on ao3 later and see have you not looked up witness ao3 okay i haven't gone on ao3 for witness because witness gives the witness as a story leaves these gaps but it gives me everything i need like i i finish Uh. witness and i feel satisfied with what i have seen i feel like i go to fanfic when i'm like this should have been better not this could have been this should have been better (laughs) yeah um anyways and so uh God, like Harrison Ford is such an interesting character because he's like trying to be a good cop and he's still a shitty person. Yeah. Like he, so then he, he, he takes them to go like see this guy he thinks might have been the killer, and I'm like, this is bad cop behavior, bad. Harrison yes. Ford. Yes. Um, yes. I just had to mention that, and then he takes them to his sister's house to stay because he's like, I can't just leave you at a hotel because I know you will just leave because you don't want to be here, you don't want to be a part of this investigation. So he takes him to his sister's house. She's not hugely essential to the plot, but I do need to mention her because she is played by played by Patty Lapone, Broadway legend. Oh, that's who she was. That's Patty Lapone. I thought Icon. she looked familiar. Oh, Woman I fear. Like I can never stage door Patty Lapone show. I don't even know if she stage doors. I feel like she's evolved beyond that because I think if she met me, she would just kill me on sight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared of Patty Lapone. Why are you scared of her? She's so powerful. <laughs> and like, she's just, she has a pool called the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool. Andrew Lloyd Webber is still alive. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh man. Okay. Later I'm going to show you the video of Patty. Someone was trying to bootleg a show Patty Lapone was in and then their flash went off and she makes the orchestra stop and just yells at them for like two minutes. 
and then like she's in the middle of a song and is like stop stop the music stop the music <gasps> and then just yells at this person and like gets the ushers to like speak to them and then it's like okay and begin again and you're just patty patty uh, okay, you say, like, like she's not necessarily essential to the plot. However, I love just the essential point of, if you want to get to know someone, talk to their sister. Because they'll Absolutely. tell you everything about them. <laughs> okay, yes. So then the, our, the next scene that you get with, like, with all of our leads together is Harrison Ford. Is, I keep calling him Harrison Ford. John Book is like, I need to take yeah. Rachel and Samuel to the police station. We're going to make them look at lineups and mugshots and hopefully we'll figure out who the killer is yes. um, because it was an undercover police officer and we got to find out what happened. Um, and so he takes them out for lunch and they just get hot dogs. And I was like, Oh my God, I want a barbecue. I did not have any access to a barbecue this summer. So I did not get enough burgers and hot dogs in my life. Uh. <sighs> but okay. This is another good character moment of like, he just starts chowing down on his food and they're saying grace. And he's like, but I love it because he's like, do I spit out my food? What do I do? <laughs> Cause like, and he is trying albeit very clumsily, to not make them uncomfortable. He's not succeeding a lot of the time because he's very brash and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But he is like, oh, I, I should have waited. I'm so sorry. And then she immediately is like, I'm completely comfortable with everything about myself and I will make you uncomfortable on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I will tell you all the dirt that your sister gave me. I will not apologize. I love Rachel Lapp as a character because she is so self-assured. Like, she gets put through the ringer in this film. We can, mm-hmm. We'll get into it. But, like, she's under so much pressure and she just is unflappable the entire time she's like yeah oh you think i'm weird i really don't care because that's who i am and that's your problem yeah um and so she does just like rip him and start making making fun with him fun out of him (laughs) yes um so Um, i was shook to my core when it's revealed who the murderer is yes like so they're in the police station looking through mugshots and Samuel can't, like, figure out who it is, and he kind of goes for a little walk, and all of a sudden he, like, looks in the case, like, this award case, and sees a photo of a police officer, and that is the guy that he saw murder this this other police. And I I just remember, I, like, covered my mouth, and I was like, oh, shit, oh, no, it's coming from the inside, oh, no! And, like, and I'm panicking. I was like, okay. And then you see, like, John go and, like, talk to, like, the head guy. And he's like, all this stuff. And I was like, okay, that's good to know, good to know. And then he's involved in it, too. <laughs> like, oh, I know. No. So it's just, it's corruption all the way down. And I think there's a good moment of, like, John Book is like, oh, he must have lost his way, which is what he says when he's like, realizes that McPhee, played by Danny Glover, is a, a crooked cop. And then realizes that pretty much everyone he knows is a crooked cop. And yeah. he's just like, oh. Oh, oh no, this is not the game I thought I was playing. And like in my head I kept I kept having like that Lion King 2 song in my head of deception. <laughs> Disgrace. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> All the bad things are happening. I know. And then like this movie does have a really good sense of humor to it too, because he's being shot at in a parking garage and a woman comes out of the elevator and her husband is like, Oh, gunfire, we're going back in the elevator, and she's like, But my car <laughs> Yeah And it's funny and it's just like I think it's also just a good indication of like how people's brains work under pressure of like I am absolutely that person who like if put under pressure will be like, Oh, but I need to go do this first and everyone else is like, No, you don't and so I would be that woman under pressure. Um, yeah. Another good moment of like, you see, 
Samuel's realization that that's the man who killed the police officer. I need to go tell John. You see John realize, but you never hear anything. And it's like, you just get to see it, but you don't get to know. Like, this movie keeps you at arm's length at all times. Yeah. And I, like, this entire movie was just so concerned for Carter. Because Carter was, like, just still... The one who has to stay behind. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my <laughs> so God. Yeah. So it's so stressful because John is like, okay, I need to go get Rachel. She's at my sister's. We need to leave right now. Um, yeah. And he calls his friend. And is, and I, I think that is so, so meaningful to me, too, of, like, he just found out that his mentor, the chief of police, is also corrupt. And he still trusts Carter. Yes. Yes. And so it's, but he's like, I need you to go in and destroy everything. I'm in hiding. You don't know where I am. You haven't spoken to me. And it's so scary. And he's bleeding out. He got shot, too. Oh, my gosh. He yeah. got shot. And, like, he, his sister is there and is, like, freaking out. And they get them out. He's trying to drive them back. And this is such a, it just, whoever thought this plot up is really smart of, like, they managed to get Rachel and Samuel back to their village or community place home anyways Mm. and it makes them virtually impossible to track because the amish don't have phones there's no phone books there's no records like they do have i think birth or death certificates but they don't keep track of everything and also a lot of them have the same last name so he's like we just need to get you there because there's they have no other information because you're amish yes very nerve-wracking and but he tries to leave but he can't because He's, sh- he's been shot. And I just love how there's a gigantic open field and he runs into the one, like, the bird birdhouse. House. The one birdhouse. The one. Just the one and he'll hit it. <laughs> and I he know. ate I'm that like, 2020. I... <laughs> like, there's a whole open field. I will hit this birdhouse. I don't even know what the birdhouse symbolizes, but it makes me feel things. But it, because he fixes it at the end and that's the ending. So there's some symmetry of like, he has come into this life. He crashed into this community and here he is and he's been there. And when he leaves it, in my mind, it symbolizes that he's fixed the thing that he was there, that he broke and that his like presence there is no longer there. And he will just leave as if nothing's happened, even though physically nothing has changed but for the people it has it has yeah i know this movie just makes me think of things oh (laughs) i just think like that that was amazing but like this movie i just makes me think because i can look at something of like oh the birdhouse means something but i can't put into words that you're just like that you did and i'm just like yes yes we're vibing yes we're vibing we're vibing um yeah so he has to hide away in the amish community for a while and that con the conflict of the difference between his like how he grew up and how his community is versus where he is right now and like he's just so much brasher and louder than everyone else there and they're not even quiet like they know how to have a good time they're talking he's just like he is constantly out of step they are always running at different speeds and he's just like Yes, exactly. And, like, even when it's like, do you want to help, like, with milking the cows? Like, sure. And then it's like, wakes him up. He's like, it's like 4 a.m. He's like, it's time to milk. He's like, uh huh. It's like, no, get up. We have to go. He's like, oh, we have to go now. (laughs) Um, Like, this movie understands really well, like, my impulse as someone who lives in a city, whenever I do find myself out of the city to be like, ah, nature, so peaceful, so quiet. And this movie does a really good job of showing him getting there and being like, oh, it's so tranquil. And then realizing that it's not, it is still just humming with life. Like, they have this shot at the opening where it's just a field of grass that's, like, shimmering and moving. You can Mm. hear the leaves rustling. And it's this thing where it's like, oh, they're just, like, they're, they're living in this community. It's very quiet. They don't have machines. They just have... Well, they don't have like electrical machines. They have yeah. 
wooden mechanical things yeah like um, wooden power they have machines um, anyways they have things but it's just like but then the longer he's there he feels like the life and the noise that exists and mm-hmm. it's just about like adjusting what you're used to well exactly i think sometimes some communities are seen as like quaint or like mm-hmm. and in like not a good way and like but not in a good way for the pre- people that are being called quaint because because it's different. They're like, oh, like look at like they're like out they're in so the fields cute. and they're. It's like no, this is just this is how we live. This is not quaint. This is our traditions. This is all our culture. It's not something to look at. It's not something to be observed. It's who we are, mm-hmm. and this is only like not necessarily who we are, but there's parts of it that that includes who we are, but we're more than just this. We are complex human beings like everyone else. And there's a scene when you, the the community goes into town to get groceries and, like, there's tourists and they're all, like, they're, like, an attraction. Like, these are people. Like, no. I know. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And one of the interesting thing about the making of this movie that I do know is um, there was some blowback from, from the Amish who mm. were like, we don't really want you to make this movie because you know in the movie we already have a problem with tourists and if this movie's a hit are we gonna have to deal with more freaking tourists uh, who want to take our picture they didn't say freaking because they're amish mm. um they were more polite um so a lot of the extras in the film were mennonites which they even mentioned in the movie is like yes. well the mennonites have phones the men we are not the same as the Mennonites. a lot of the extras in the yeah. movie were mennonites mm. who lived in the area and then after the movie came out the like whoever in the municipal government was in charge of, like, giving them the permits to film there, the Amish were like, please don't do that again. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> we will not. Yeah. Our bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. they also kind of touch base on some of, like, the political standing of things. Of There's, like, an offhand comment of, like, oh, they don't even fight for their country because um, Amish people are pacifists. Is that the mm-hmm. name of it? Yes. When it's, like, so- not, like, fighting for things. It's more of like, helping other people and not, like, violence and stuff. And they have scenes about, like, the gun and, like, you shouldn't be able to take someone else's life. This gun of the hand is for the taking of human life. We believe it is wrong to take life. That is only for God. Many times wars have come. And people have said to us, you must fight. You must kill. It is the only way to preserve the good. But Samuel, there is never only one way. Remember that. I love all of the scenes involving Book's gun. So Book has a gun, um, mm. and Samuel wants to play with it. And he, I, I, I like the way he interacts with him here, where he's like, you cannot do that. It is not safe. And it, it, but it is like this difference in their opinion of like he he agrees with Rachel that Samuel should not be allowed to play with the gun. I mean, basic gun safety, yes. But he is also understanding that like Samuel should understand how it works mm. and what it is. So he takes the bullets out and is like, you can look at it while I am here, but never with bullets in it and never without me knowing. And she comes in and she's like, he shouldn't even be looking at it. He shouldn't even be touching it. What yeah. is it? What is it even doing in my home? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I again just like how he does defer to her. He doesn't argue with her. He's like, "Yep, I'm in your house. You just saved my life. Take it. Yes. Hide it. I don't need to know where it is." No. Yeah. 
so to the romance of it all. So like the yes. next, I would say like forty five an hour of the movie is basically just him adjusting, not even adjusting, him existing in Amish life, mm-hmm. um, and them realizing that they are attracted to each other. And it is very romantic to me because I've said this before and I will say it again. It is the most important thing in any romance romantic dynamic that they enjoy being in each other's company. And at the end of the day, Rachel and Book do. She gives him her, some of her husband's clothes to wear because he his clothes a will not blend in and b are covered in blood and they're too short and she just laughs at him and he's like okay i have to save this a little bit (laughs) ridiculous and like when he does antagonize her it's like he has to go into town and it's like i want to take my gun with me while i'm in town and so she does and he she has the bullets hidden in her flower and he goes and it's just like whistling and drops them back in and it's like to antagonize her a little bit but he's like i'm following your rules and they just interact with each other so well even when they catch each other off guard like he makes a reference to a coffee commercial and calls her honey and she's just like do not (laughs) yeah do not do that sorry that was that was a reference uh i apologize i know but I just love the energy between them. And also her dad who lives with them and is like, I don't like this. I don't know what's happening and I don't enjoy it. But it's, I'm making light, but it is just, it is so romantic to me. These people who really like each other and can't be together or could, but they don't want to deal with what comes next. <laughs> mm, yes. Which is fair. Yes. Because they have this conversation of, like, if we are together, then either I have to leave forever or i have to stay stay or you have to leave yeah Yeah. and it's yeah it's very difficult i know that is a really intense scene so okay but this is again coming back to them being observed of like he sees her changing one day and again i just love rachel being so self-assured and like she is into it so she's like i'm not gonna pretend to be embarrassed yeah like i'm not gonna pose and be sexy for you but this is what i look like and i know you're looking and i don't mind and that was a big moment for me too i remember watching i 15 and i was like she's letting him look she's letting him look and it's just but it was just so meaningful of like just like this trust of like this is who i am this is my world yeah i like i understand that scene i just don't think the scene is necessary it's it's like any nudity in film and they always makes me uncomfortable where i'm just like i don't need to be seeing this though i it makes me uncomfortable but it also is like it's always like it's always females as well and it's always like like that didn't need to happen like because it it, this movie happen. is rated r right and i think like probably yes there's parts in it that i'm like were that weren't necessary that ended up being the reason why it was rated r and this is one of the scenes so i like i don't think it's a necessary thing to have in the film i don't i don't know i i don't I th- get it i absolutely agree i think one thing i do like about that scene as i mentioned before is that like she's just bathing and it's but it is not her like trying to be sexual it's just him let her letting him look and i think it kind of contrasts earlier with when she is he is basically unconscious and delirious after having been shot but she is like looking at his chest after he's been shot and like so he also has a shirtless mm. scene but it's an entirely different context so it doesn't make you like, it does not yeah. it's not in a sexual way so it's just interesting to look at the way of like we look at the male body of just like well that's just him shirtless and it's like but that's her shirtless yeah. but it's also the way the plot treats it like the plot doesn't treat yeah. her looking with him with like that even though she does have a moment of like eyes emoji um <laughs> like it's not a much as much about her perceiving him yeah um but i do really like the dancing scene the dancing scene is one of it is one of the most romantic things i've ever seen the glasses are off (laughs) off. 
<laughs> I know. I Okay, I feel like when... I, I'm looking directly at the camera now. I feel like when... I'm so sorry. I need to, like, move where my camera is, I'm realizing, because I, I have it slightly lower than my mic, so sorry if that's a thing. But when I watched it on TV before seeing the whole movie, I came in, I want to say, shortly around the dancing scene. Mm. And it's just, again, it's just... He's been working on his car. He's trying to fix his car so that if he has to leave or when he wants to leave, he can... And he gets the radio working. Yes. And while they were making this film, they were just like, John and Rachel dance to a song. And they let Harrison Ford pick it. Because they were like, you have to dance to it. We want to let this scene, like, play out however you want. Like, it's fun. It's flirtatious. It is a brief moment of levity in this film. Um, And he picked What a Wonderful World by Sam Cooke, which is one of my top I love rating ranking things one of my top three romantic songs (laughs) the other two are love you for a long time or love you for a long time by Maggie Rogers and 45 years by Stan Rogers and then what a wonderful world by Sam Mm. Cooke um but it is just like she not she has heard music before but she has not heard popular music by any stretch and then suddenly it's this like old very sweet song about just liking someone and knowing that they love you too and how much that can change your entire perspective on the world don't know much about history don't know much biology don't know much about a science book don't know much about the french i took but i do know that i love And they just dance, and she's laughing. And I like it, too, because it is definitely a very flirtatious scene. But they're both very aware that it is getting flirtatious. And I appreciate that it is always Book who is, takes the step back and is like, I do not want to make her uncomfortable again. Like, it's they're dancing, their faces get close, and he's like, wait, no, this is getting too sexy. I'm going to go back to just having a goofy time again. Well, I'm going to spin you around a little bit. And she is having a really good time, and it's just nice. Yeah, I felt like... Up to this moment, like, there were scenes when I could see that they were trying to make things romantic, and I felt like some of it was kind of forced, but when this scene happened, I was like, okay, I'm starting to see, like, how they're perceiving each other and how their chemistry works. Like, I'm always such an advocate of, we don't need to have a romantic subplot. I don't know why, but I'm like, I I just, I don't, I don't know if it added everything, but it, it, like, made it a different film. It wasn't in it. It would have been different, but this Mm -hmm. specific, like scene was really good of like what you were saying of how like both of them like you could see it was going one way and then they're both kind of like pull back and like one of them would kind of be like oh no we're not doing this thing but then they'd get carried away of how much fun they're having dancing and then be like oh no <laughs> i know like the, the first section of the movie of like these longing stares i feel like the shirtless scene also happens after the dance scene too which i feel like is important for t- uh, timeline wise um yes. but uh it goes from them looking at each other and him being like oh, this woman's kind of prickly. Oh, this woman's very beautiful. Oh, I'm attracted to this woman. Her being like, this man is too much, and but he's very <laughs> handsome. And then it goes from them just like finding each other physically attractive to being like, I like this person, and I feel like this person could understand me. It's not that they don't know each other well enough to be like, you do understand me, but it's that mm. excitement of like, I want to know you. Yeah, because it's, I think the change for at least Rachel was when th- there's like the barn raising scene of like she is seeing him because so far she has only really seen him as in the city and like and dressed up in as someone outfit. who is very violent. And then all of a sudden he she sees him interacting with 
people in interacting with her community and building and working buddy buddy with this guy that I think they're supposed to be married to soon. So he, and... yeah, I, now I can't remember what his name is, but he is definitely trying to put the moves on Rachel and she is not having it. This man is played by an actor named Alexander Gudinov who also is known for playing uh, the terrorist Carl in Die Hard, which means every year my family has to hear me make a terrible joke while watching Die Hard as I say, do you think when he, this <laughs> is named Alexander Goodenough, um, when, do you think when he got this part, he called his mom and said, mom, finally I was a good enough actor. <laughs> they cast me, mama. <laughs> That's a good one, Em. It's not good when it's like the sixth year in a row I've told it. <laughs> Finally, I'm good enough. <laughs> also, this scene has Aragorn. Yeah, I know. Viggo Mortensen, who was, this is his first movie, got cast because the casting director was like, he looks Amish. <laughs> as soon as she showed up, I was like, my king, my liege. <laughs> I know. This is how I used to pitch this movie to my friends to be like, the Viggo Mortensen is in it. And then they would watch it and be like, for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. watching that scene just made me really badly want to build stuff. Um, I oh, haven't really built stuff so in a very long time, but, like, growing up, I used to build a lot of things. Like, I used to, like, I helped build, like, a foosball table. I used to build, like, birdhouses all the time. I would build rockets and airplanes and stuff. Like, me and my dad, like, bonded a lot with building things. Like, he'd go to the hobby shop and buy something, and we would build it. And so just watching this, I'm like, oh, that seems fun. That seems good. It's like a sense of community. I think this is my last behind-the-scenes tidbit I have for you of while Harrison Ford was making this film. Because Harrison Ford was formerly a carpenter, which I feel like a lot of people know. Did you know that? I did not know that. This is so cool. Yeah, so Harrison Ford was a carpenter for, I can't remember, for a studio. And that's kind of, and he had been like, he had been in George Lucas's American Graffiti. But that is kind of how he got cast as Han Solo. Of just like, he was just on on the studio lot as a carpenter oh wow um before so yeah he was not really an actor before han solo and then um while he was making this movie he was staying and he was renting or presumably like the production was renting for him uh, a house in pennsylvania and the owners of the house came back and were like our house is in better condition than we left it and he had like straightened the door frame and fixed all their cupboards and they were like everything looks newer and he was like then apparently wrote them a note and was like hi sorry if that was weird it was just like a really stressful shoot for me because it's a really serious film so i would just decompress and come home and just like want to build some things hope that's okay they were like um yes we're gonna tell this story until the end of time harrison (laughs) renovated our house for us for free he paid us to live in our house and then he renovated it wow that's impressive I love Harrison Ford. I know Harrison Ford now is just like a cranky man who gets trotted out for franchises he wants no part in, but I love Harrison Ford when he tries. Because <laughs> uh, um, for you, like, when you think of Harrison Ford, what role do you view him in? This movie every time. Like, this is the first thing I think of when I think of Harrison Ford. See, I think Indiana Jones every time. Oh, also interesting, because I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's Indy or Han Solo, but I feel like for most people it is Han Solo, if only because, yeah. like, the more recent chapters of that have been more successful than, like, Indiana Jones 4 that came out 10 years ago, more than that now. Um, oh, God, yeah. Uh, but it is, the, it, this is, this is it for me, because I think, 
like Han Solo and Indy exist outside of him. They exist as characters in his franchises, whereas like this is the quintessential Harrison Ford performance for me. It is I see that. So nuanced and good. Yeah, because I don't think I've actually seen him in anything besides Star Wars and Indiana Jones. We will not get sidetracked because this would be a good, like, I need, like, two glasses of wine and an hour to get into this. But Harrison Ford worked so much in the 80s and 90s in a way people don't, I think, really recognize because you do just think of him for his big roles. Mm. But, um, and this is not a criticism of Harrison Ford, more a criticism of the industry of he is a really good marker for the way Hollywood treats women. And leading oh. ladies before they're like he's like they're like oh no they turned thirty five I guess there are grandmas now, um, mm. like so many so many pieces have been written on ageism and sexism in Hollywood, but like if you look at Harrison Ford's leading ladies like you've got Karen Allen in Indiana Jones you've got Melanie Griffith in Working Girl uh, Julia Ormond in Sabrina Kelly McGillis like where are these women now what are these women all of these women are incredible incredible actors who got aged out of Hollywood so quickly and meanwhile Harrison mm. Ford is like just signed on for Indiana Jones 5 and I'm like I nobody wants that Harrison Ford doesn't want that mm, yeah. and so there's just like so much to be said of like Harrison Ford like looking at who Harrison Ford acted against and it's always these women who are incredibly talented and we're like it girls or ingenues or just like women who were being given the opportunity to play like Kelly McGillis in this film, I think, is, like, an age-appropriate... I don't know how old she was at the time. I'm hoping an age-appropriate love interest for him. But I'm like, you don't see that. And then it's like, they they got older, and Hollywood just booted them. Anyways. So stupid. So stupid. I love Kelly McGillis. She's also known for her role in Top Gun, as the love interest in Top Gun. Notably, Top Gun 2, that is coming out someday, brought back freaking everyone else from the original cast... And didn't bring back her. They recast the love interest with Jennifer Connelly, who's younger. So I'm like, I mean, I love Jennifer Connelly oh. also, but I'm like, mm. um, and then Kelly McGill was also in, in The Accused. And I think now it's just like a lesbian acting teacher who just hangs out. I love Kelly McGill. Yes, yes. Um, and good for her. She, I know, she like being asked about it. She's like, of course I left Hollywood. They had no interest in me once I stopped being palatable. Mm. Oh, Hollywood. Um, Exactly. And one other thing, too, is just, like, this movie also captures how intimate it is to call someone by their name, which seems ridiculous, because what else do you call people? You have to call them something. But you have all these scenes where, like, whenever they are alone, and he will say, like, just call her Rachel, and that is so moving to me. Yes. Yes. Or, like, or she'll call him John when everyone else calls him Book or Englishman. It's the the intimacy of focused attention on someone. Yes. It's I am speaking to you specifically yes. right now. I want you to hear this. Um, yes. Something else that happens at the barn raising, which is just an incredible scene. Like, the score stirs mm. me like nothing else. I will just, I have this soundtrack on vinyl and I will just dance to it in my living room. Ooh. The opportunity. I just put it on and I just vibe. Um, but <laughs> while they're there, the women are all quilting. And one of the women leans in and is like, you should hear what the people are saying about you and the Englishman. And Rachel, again, very calmly defers. And it's like, at this point, like, has done nothing really inappropriate, barring the dancing, which I guess is, like, kind of taboo because they're not supposed to be listening to music. But she's like, I've done nothing wrong. So I'm assuming everyone's saying nothing but charitable things. And the lady's like, no. 
They are not. <laughs> but what I like about that is that we have not seen beyond the barn raising when Book and Rachel Harley interact. We haven't seen them ever interact in public. We no. only have seen them in moments when they are completely alone and in private. So it's like you never get to see what the community is seeing to judge her. So you have to consider, are they just judging her because she is letting this Englishman stay in her home? Or are they seeing this chemistry and so it's like are they just being judgmental of what they're not used to are they being judgmental because they have a different like moral code than what we're used to or are they seeing things they're like that's you shouldn't be doing this you never like it's another thing with the movie you never get to see what people are taking on bridge with well exactly like all you hear is um her father say the community is thinking of shunning you and it's like wait which is very severe i'm like because they haven't done anything at this point and I guess it, it, the whole thing is that they see that she brought him here. And I think that is, like, the crime of, like, bringing someone here who has, like, a gun or, And, like, like that's even though it. he is there to protect Samuel, bringing him here has brought a threat of violence. Another moment of Rachel just being so matter-of-fact that I love is she, she being, like, we're really happy you recovered from your gunshot. We didn't know what to do with you if you died because she doesn't yeah. let them take him to a hospital. Cause she's like, if you take him to a hospital, it will put my son in danger. So I love her being very aware of what her priorities are. I love her being a little bit selfish and making everyone go along with that. And I just love her being mad. Mm-hmm. Like you might've died and it would have sucked. <laughs> and like, again, like I do not know a lot about the Amish community. So I can't say like, bringing someone into the community like book like what that really implies or the bigger gravity of that Mm -hmm. is um but i think having all of the scenes off like i almost said offline um not on screen of what the community is saying is kind of helps the audience see this disconnect of what is happening because Mm -hmm. i don't think rachel really realizes what is happening at the same time and like it's She's finding out what people think of her as we find out. I know. It's like her really having to reconcile like what her place in the community is now that she is unmarried, now that she has brought not only this man, but also the threat of violence that he carries into their community. Yeah. Because it's not just I that mean, he has a gun. It's that like if people find out about him, more people will come. And so it's like you have opened and, our entire community up to vulnerabilities. Which they do. And I find like the greatest irony of like, here's this man who's brought this gun you know he how he kills a man? By corn. Death by corn. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, like, let's move into the third act. Um, actually, okay, before we move into the third act, I do have to, Okay. 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 You good? <laughs> I'm fine. Um, there, okay. Also, I'm not fine, apparently. My brain is like, there's so many things I want to talk about. But you have this scene with Rachel and her father, Eli, and Eli is like, you need to understand, I know you think you've done nothing wrong, and I know that you actually haven't, or at least I'm trusting you when you tell me you haven't actually done anything wrong, but you need to understand that there's a possibility our community will not care. And it has this discussion of, like, you could bring shame, you could be shunned. And then it is immediately followed of uh, the partner, Carter, and Schaefer, the chief of police, who is also corrupt like drilling him down for information about book and him being and like Elaine, the sister and Carter are both like, you're trying to play it like John's the corrupt cop and we know him and we know that's not true. Yeah. And I think the parallel of those two scenes of like mm. the way that John's community is treating him and the way that Rachel's community is treating hers contrast in a really sh- sharp mm. and smart way. 
Yeah, I didn't think and about then, it, but... big bummer, Carter does die. <laughs> oh, I was um, so which mad I when that happened. Every single time. Oh, Carter. Every time he... I get to it, and I'm just like, damn it. No! And, like, I always get annoyed when, like, a death of a character is, like, the catalyst for, like, the main character to do something. I'm like, no. We don't need death. I know. Like, I talk about how this movie is very sharp in terms of, like, it's very tight in terms of screenwriting. I'm like, everything happens when it needs to. And this is frustrating because you're like, the character died so that Harrison Ford could flip out and draw attention to himself so that the corrupt police could find him. Yes. And so you're like, ah! So it's, like, frustrating for him. And I'm also just like, not to blame this character for getting murdered, but I'm like, you knew, you knew that Schaefer was corrupt. Why did you not also get the hell out of Philadelphia? I know. I... (sighs) I, it's so upsetting. Yeah. and But then it's also just this moment of, like, John knows he slipped out, knows that he's drawn attention to the community, to the Amish, and is like, okay, I need to leave. And rebuilds the birdhouse. <gasps> <laughs> and then I just love it. I just I just love it. So Rachel, like, talks to her father and is like, he's leaving. And her Eli says yes in the morning. And she's just like... It's my last shot. <laughs> my last chance. Gotta shoot my shot. And I love her for it. <laughs> and she takes off her bonnet. And then it runs into the field. And they just start kissing and laughing. Because they're so happy to be kissing. And then, shit boy, I die. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> because I know you're like, ro- they didn't need the romance. But ultimately, Jenny, this is why I was nervous about showing you. This is a romantic film. This is a film about romance. In this case, they did need the romance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They could just the romance isn't the main plot. The romance <laughs> is key to the plot. This movie, I feel like Stefan. Like this movie has everything: the Amish, Aragorn, <laughs> carpentry, birdhouses, romance. <laughs> this movie has everything. Mm. Since scores, <laughs> I love the score. Barnes. Um, anyways, I mean, like honestly, it is such an Emma movie. There's like Barnes, which is like westerny, and like Emma's all into that. It has romance. It, oh. yeah, it I has know. long gazes <laughs> at a pupil. You just, I feel like you, you have a, do you have a gun? <laughs> I was so targeted. Like I know it's all things I've been saying, but then you're like they have long gazes, and I'm like, yeah, damn. Yeah. Guess Another murder has happened tonight. It was Jenny murdering Emma Saki. <laughs> I will give this movie a shout out. It's that there is no love scene or like sex scene. I'm like, I don't need to see it. I just need to see them kiss. Yes. And then it starts the next morning. And I was like, thankful for you. I was like, thankful on your behalf that, that there was no scene. I was like, I would watch the scene. But I know Jenny would be like, they didn't need to put this here. And they didn't. <laughs> so thank you, Peter Weir. Yeah, or whoever you. edited this film. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> um, but then everything goes wrong. I love. There are two shots that are also iconic for me. Mm. One. So the three corrupt police officers. You have Schaefer, who is the corrupt chief. You have McPhee, who did the throat slitting, and then you have Fergie. <laughs> I am there. a little bit obsessed with Fergie as a character because I think Fergie says like three words in this entire film but is in so many scenes and I'm just like why are you here yeah. but they have a scene where their car very slowly 
drives over a hill yeah. and then slowly reverses. <laughs> and it yeah. makes me lose my mind every time. It's so funny. And then it's immediately followed by them getting with their huge shotguns and walking Because that's less suspicious. That is, I know. But I do think it is a very beautiful shot of, like, yes. the, the three. And the music is like... Yeah, and you're like you you, that music really lets you know ah shit's about to go down ah we messed up it's a scary it's a scary scene it's a scary 20 minutes of the movie these men are invading this community and they got guns um they go and like um so john and samuel are somewhere else and rachel and her father in the house and they're like I won't be quiet. Like, go and get all these things, and they're all panicky. And then he asks okay, Samuel also, to run away. And then he yes, like, rings when the bell. Him hugging Samuel oh. and being like, "Go hide!" And then Samuel instead doesn't hide, but rings the bell. And then all the Amish start coming to witness. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah. So it's it's very like tense, and you don't know what's gonna happen. And you see John just like running around trying to hide and like. Start and the car, and the man... car's not starting. And, and then Fergie dies in a grain silo. I hate <sighs> this. This man has no lines and dies the grossest, most violent death in the film, if you ask me. Like, it is brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, like, shows, like, you could have guns and all these, like, modernized weapons, but, like, that's not what got him. It's grain. But then I'm like, you know what? That sucks. They probably can't eat that grain now. They absolutely can't eat that grain now. <laughs> that's um, a waste. I know. It's just like, but he's just like, the scene is so gross. I don't know why they, this is gratuitous to me. I'm like, I don't need to see, like, cause he's like, there's like so much dust that the corn or whatever is kicking up. Yeah. And he's like choking and there's like dry and spit everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, the reason why he doesn't like end up dying, John, is because all the other like community members are coming in and they see and then they go outside he's like are you really gonna shoot me in front of all these other people like are you gonna shoot this child like are you serious like dude stop. are you gonna shoot all of them and it's just like a moment of this man realizing he is absolutely lost and so he does get arrested um but it's just it's so nerve-wracking too because like it's it, it is a gamble of like you're watching and you're like this is a movie they're not gonna kill the kid right but john is yelling and he's like are you gonna kill me are you gonna kill this boy and he grabs samuel and rachel just screams because it's like he might you don't know yeah 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 like um can you not <laughs> put my son involved in this yeah so what are your thoughts on the final shot of this movie I, I love the end of this movie. I'm realizing something now for the very first time, which is that after you, like, don't actually, Rachel and Book don't really actually speak to each other for the last portion of this movie. Like, you have, they don't speak, I don't think they speak directly to each other after he goes into town and finds out that his friend has died. Or at least you don't see it, because... He comes back to town, he fixes the birdhouse, but you don't see them speak, and then she, like, sees him, and, like, when she runs into the field, they don't speak, they just kiss, mm. um, and you don't see them speak, and then it cuts to the next morning, but you don't, don't see anything about the morning after, either. No. And then they don't speak for the directly to each other for the rest of the movie, it is just in these long looks, and so it's, like, he, they call the police, they take away the chief, and so presumably they did speak and they did say goodbye, but again, you don't get to see it. It's it's it's, pri- it's for them. It's private. And like yeah. maybe they didn't even get to because all of these things were happening and how are you supposed to steal 2 minutes alone? 
yeah. without anyone noticing when everyone is there. And it is just this moment of, like, we cannot be together because I cannot stay here. Your community is already going to be hurting from this for a really long time. Yeah. And I, I can't ask you to come with me. You, you don't want that. And it's, it is just, like, the last scene is just them looking at each other and, like, knowing and then he leaves and he drives past the birdhouse and i want to call him carl but his name's not carl because that's what it is in die hard but he tips his hat to him and it's just like this respect and then like you brought great hurt into our community but it was out of a place of protection and Mm -hmm. we won't try to make everyone adhere to our beliefs but we can exist in the same space but like but only apart i love the last shot of this film because it's just like this movie is very much like this is just a window into these characters' lives. You do not get to know what what they were before. You do not get to know mm. what they will be after. And this like is just a window. For me, what it symbolized me in like twenty twenty light is like he's leaving, and he like tips his hat, and they like they exchange some words because he like leans into the car. You don't know what he's saying. But the act of him leaving or his the act of him not being there was the biggest act of care he could give. Mm-hmm. And like in 2020 light, that kind of reminds me of like with COVID, like the biggest thing you can do to care for someone is to actually not be there and is to leave. And like not be there is the biggest thing you could do. And that's what he does. And I'm like, oh, damn. It's like that Lisa Simpson meme and she's just lying on her bed. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a really That's good observation. That's Thank witness. You. Like, it is just such a... It, it really... It just opened up so many doors in my mind. Like, this is such a gateway drug to me for, like... It sounds ridiculous, but this was a movie where I was like, oh, I'm allowed to have thoughts and opinions on movies. Because mm. up until this point, if someone told me a movie was good, I was like, okay. It yeah. is. Um, and I think there's great power in, I mean, no one is saying, very few people said this movie was bad. This movie got great reviews. It was a moderate box office success. But, like, no one is saying Witness is a vital, important part of the North American film canon. Um, this is just a movie I found and I really liked and I've decided to stump for for the rest of my life. Yes. And it's just, it is really satisfying to go back and rewatch and be like, there are things, I think, like, I haven't, I honestly haven't given much speculation to what happens to these characters afterwards because I'm like that's their private lives I don't need to know that Mm. I'm not gonna be nosy (laughs) but um like watching this and I was just like it is it is very difficult to watch movies with cops at the center of it and so I think like the one thing I think is I I am interested in like what happened to John Book after this did he stay in the police force or like you just find out that like your mentor and a ton of people you worked with were corrupt in a very yeah. violent, horrible way. And the one person you did trust is now dead. Like, does he stay a police officer? I don't oh, know. Because what else does he know beyond that? Like, he could, he, he knew enough about life and had these other skills to be with the Amish. But he knows that that life isn't for them either, him either. So, like, what is that middle ground? What does he do afterwards? And what does Rachel do afterwards? I just love Rachel. She's so interesting. And I say again, again, it's so self-assured. And just, like, not afraid i mean she's literally afraid when a man with a gun is trying to murder her and her son but she is not afraid by the other things happening she just takes them in stride and is like i cannot let my fear control me i need to just move on with my not move on but i need to keep going with my life in a very in a way Mm. that makes sense to me and i love her for it yeah i i think this movie was good i 
I don't know, like, if I would watch it a bunch of times again, but, like, if it was on, I wouldn't turn it off, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Oh, and like, I, see, I, f- I miss having cable for that regard specifically. Yeah, like, I guess this is what we're doing today. Well, because that's the thing, because I feel like without cable, like, watching things are, have to be, have more purpose to it. Mm-hmm. When before, it's just like, let's just see what's on, and then you can watch it. Um, I definitely feel like I would recommend this movie to people if they enjoy these types of films. I'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, you should look at this. Um, like, I wouldn't be like, hey, do you want to, like, have a good good old film? Like, no, this is, like, a little more intense than just, like, a chill film. I know. But- I did make... I have made people watch this during, like, sleepovers, and that is always the wrong choice. <laughs> but I will not yield. <laughs> and I love you for that. I just, <laughs> I love this film, and I miss Harrison Ford from 1985. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I'm very pleased that you liked it. I was nervous, because I was like, this is not... Like I said, I just said, like, this movie is really important for me because it was a moment when I realized I could have movies that I cared a lot about, not because people told me I should care about them. And mm. I love that you, I really appreciate that you were saying I enjoyed this movie, even though I know it was not for me. Because I was really nervous about seeing that and if you were just going to, like, kind of bristle at it. Mm. So I really appreciate you taking the objective look and be like, I can see that Emma loves this movie, so let me instead dig into why and let me look at what I did like about it. Yes. Because I think that is also just a really important thing. Like, sometimes a thing isn't bad, sometimes a thing is just not for you. (laughs) Yeah, like, I wouldn't even say it's it's... not for me. I just think Mm. this style of movie is not always my go-to style. Yeah, like, it's not your go-to. Yeah, exactly. The fact that I even enjoyed the amount I do is more than I usually enjoy other, like, crime movies. I'm so pleased that you did. Okay, yeah, because I didn't want to also be like, it's not for you. Um... (laughs) But I am pleased that it's, like, it's just something where you're, like, I'm happy that I've seen this now, even if yeah. it's not something you'll go back to. Like, it, it, it is an a, important part of, it is an important display of storytelling that I think people should look yeah. at. Yeah. That is the film. Witness, 1985, directed by Peter Weir, starring Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. I always need to introduce it like that. Like, this is literally, like, so on my Tinder why? profile of me being, like, I love Witness, 1985, directed by Peter Weir. And they're always, like, why are you so specific? And I'm, like, because. You need to know what kind of person I am in media. <laughs> so for our activity, for yes. my dearest Jenny... Um, one is like what is a movie that what is what is your witness what is your movie that you watched and were like oh i'm gonna like this like it just this movie i don't know how to get into it but this movie was just like I, i'm uh, repeating myself but just a moment of yep this is something that i like like it was and in 2009 when i watched this movie in full for the first first time you can look at it now and be like of course emma loves it it's got longing stares it's got romance it's got all of these action bits it's got these synth scores i've talked so many times about how much i love synth scores but i didn't know that i liked those things then yes this movie was the first one for me and so everything you know about me of like what i seek out in a movie is because of this so like what is your Mm. like origin of film taste ah okay this one was a little bit hard for me to try to figure out because like I try to think of one that wasn't necessarily something that we watched all the time in my family because a lot of the things I watched 
was like a cultural thing that we just always watched like the grinch or like scooby-doo and like all these movies that like charlie's angels like we would always watch all the time and it was just something that we did so i tried to find something that um was a movie that i watched that made me realize that i have opinions about movies and that there are parts of movies that i enjoy and what i don't enjoy and the first one i could think of like um like the first thing that came to mind originally was the movie now you see me but that's like a pretty like recent movie but i remember in the theater watching this and being like huh i i really like this like a- as the movie was going magic. I was like, this is fun magic <laughs> i remember looking I, I think was i with you or my mom i don't remember i was with one of you and you I remember when your mom because it came out in the summer and i remember you texting me being like so now you see me was great there was magic <laughs> and i'm like oh damn i gotta see now you see me <laughs> Yes, um, but if we go far back, I think the mo- the movie that came to mind for me was The Two Towers. <gasps> oh, yes. okay. Tell me more of the sec because it's the second one. It's, it's the, the second one. Towers. So I remember seeing the first one, and like I don't remember really what my thoughts were on, but I remember that I did see it. But the second movie of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, I remember watching it, and it was my first idea of like. There are parts of the movie that I really enjoyed and there was parts that I didn't. And it was the first time I remember thinking distinctly of like, oh, this is what I enjoy in like this whole magical world. Like Lord of the Rings is itself. I enjoy the storytelling and the fantasy and the lore and all that stuff is really cool. But like storytelling wise, like I really liked when it was like the three like Legless, Aragorn and Gimli together. And I really liked like their story arc and their adventure and the go, go, go and um the like acts of brave being brave and all those things and then i did not enjoy what it was like sam frodo and Gollum. like i just didn't and (laughs) i remember like i don't like but i was trying to figure out like for the first time why that was because it was the same movie and i was like hmm i wonder like why i don't i'm not i don't enjoy this as much and i was like i some of it was, like, the pacing of the story and just, like, the cinematography, even though it was filmed by the same person, just the way the pacing was different of them doing, like, this slow journey of getting there and, like, the, um, like, no, endurance of just mm-hmm. getting there versus, like, the go, 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 we're going to be doing these things. And, yeah, it was the first time really thinking of, like, oh, like, this is what I enjoy. And, like, that's, like, when we talked about in our Halloween episodes, like, I dressed up as, like, legless one year and I was like, yes, like, this is my jam i am into this and it was the first time realizing that like people my age weren't as into it as i was oh and being like this is just for me so i would watch the dvd like downstairs all the time and especially like the behind the scenes and all those things and just watching it being like this is the first time i've seen a film i mean it was long so obviously it was easy to find things i could or could not like because there was just so much content um (laughs) that I had an opinion of what I liked about it and that I had the control to still watch it because I liked it that much more that like I will still watch this film even though there's parts I do not enjoy but I like it so much more that I still will watch it and being aware of that was fascinating to me. That is such a good answer. And yeah, I just like, I was like, I will accept literally any movie. Like you could have said Charlie's Angels because I know how important Charlie's Angels was yes. too. But it just is those moments of like, Oh, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's the being, realizing, oh, I really like this as, is as, is as important as the, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's allowed. You're allowed to have 
pieces of a film that you don't like and that's okay. And like, but I still enjoyed enough. And I think that's also when I realized that like, you can have different opinions about a thing. Like it's not as black and white of like, this is good or this is bad. Like it's more complex than mm-hmm. just that. And yeah, Lord of the Rings, man. It's great. Nice. <laughs> that was a really good answer. Um, Thank you. I like that. Okay. Um, so that is our first episode of 2021. Oh, that feels weird in my mouth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Please rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate that. We think it's neat. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hi Ho Podcast. Email us at HiHoPodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Tumblr at Hi Ho Podcast. How many times can I say Hi Ho Podcast? <laughs> A few more. Uh, you can also listen to our playlist... Uh, that we post on our Twitter or find us on Spotify at Hiho Podcast. <laughs> we do a playlist every month because we talk about movies, but we love sharing things of all kinds, and there's some really great mm-hmm. things to be found there. Yeah! Thank you so much for listening, and remember to like what you like, your opinion is valid. As long as it's the same as mine. <laughs> <laughs>